Hello, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zoe and Heidi. We're here with a special After Dark episode coming up on the end of the year. This is not a conclave, but we are going to take some listener questions. So, Zelwyn, how's the weather out your way? It's actually fairly warm today. It's been pretty... I don't know what to say. The, we've had quite a few snowstorms recently. Sure. And uh, I know, like, on Christmas Day, for example, we... We're able to have church, praise God, but uh, the afternoon came in and it was pretty much just whiteout conditions for the rest of the day. But now today, when we're recording this episode, it's actually a little warm. Um, there's actually some snow starting to melt a little bit. It's dripping. I mean, I, warm to me, you have to understand, is slightly above freezing. Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, we're no, we're, we're going to get up into nice. the high. We're going to get up into the high sixties, so we can yeah, handle see, that. I but then, but then the rain is coming back tomorrow. <laughs> and if anybody knows my roof story, you know why that's not a good thing. <laughs> that's why you're vigorously roofing right now is what you're saying, right? Yes. Um, so that being said, uh, yeah, so warm weather, but more rain. So we get about a nice day. What am I doing on this lovely sunny day? On this, I'm recording a podcast where I tell everyone to go out and touch grass. So what can you do? <laughs> You know, <laughs> physician, heal thyself. Right. But it is an after dark episode. So officially it is dark. But yes. Yeah, so uh, today's going to be kind of a fun uh, episode. Uh, just putting the, you know, together a few things for you all here. Like I said, at the end of the year, uh, answering some of your questions, Let's look at the full conclave together at some point, but we've got a lot of, a lot of great questions. Our listeners, you know, a lot of the times what they do is they give us show requests and the request can be, kind of deep, kind of long, so they don't really fit into a conclave. Uh, sometimes they're medium-sized, so we need a little more time than we do at a conclave. So, um, so yeah, so we won't answer all of them. Uh, some require an appropriate amount of research or, you know, just making stuff up off the top of our heads, as many tend to do. But, yeah, so we'll see what uh, what we get into. So, Zelwyn, what is the, uh, the first thing uh, we should talk about? Well, I think the first thing that we want to talk about, although it's not specifically a request, is just something that I think is important to talk about. And that is talking about what Paul means by being apt to teach. What does that look like for a pastor? What does that yes. look like? Practically speaking, you know, what what does it mean to be apt to teach, Willie? Correct. And Zelwyn wanted to flip-flop this episode. You usually get very spicy um, in the third segment. <laughs> heading toward the home stretch, but he wanted to do it right out of the gate here. Um, and there's a few reasons why we're doing that uh, and doing this topic kind of at the right out of the gate. But what does it mean to be apt to teach? Well, first of all, the Bible, you know, prescribes certain qualifications for elders: Hus- husband of one wife, not given to much drink, manages his household well, and of course, apt to teach. Now, we've talked about the holiness of life before, which is arguably the most difficult one to cultivate, of course, right? which is the one why it gets thrown under the rug. Uh, but the but the other very important one, I mean, of course, household management, all that, but apt to teach is one we don't talk about a lot. Apt to teach is not the same thing as possessing knowledge. It's not the same thing as being able to articulate scholastic points. Being apt to teach is being able to hand down the faith and apply the faith. So right. it's not simply getting people to do good memory work. It's actually handing down the faith. It is speaking the gospel where it needs to be spoken. It's 
speaking the law where it needs to be spoken as well. It is not seeking to impress people uh, through prowess, but rather to impress Jesus Christ upon the people. I think that's a great and, way of putting it. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask this just to kind of get going here. You know, I do have some other things I want to get at, but is being apt to teach something that is, I don't want to say, is it something that can be taught or is it something that is purely like a gift, like a, a gift of the spirit sort of a thing? I mean, or is it somewhere in between? You know, where do we, where yeah, do we it's, put it's, that? It has to be somewhere in between because, you know, not many of you should be teachers, brothers. Uh, right. God, uh, God calls the minister, things like that. So, you know, if God calls someone, he has to, he would then endow them with certain gifts, but we all know various different pastors and they all have different gifts too. And For, so correct. some people are going to be yep. stronger in other things. But, you know, you have to ask the question, if someone could not communicate in any form, could that person be a pastor? Like if they physically couldn't communicate? No. No. So you have to have the ability to communicate clearly, and then you have to have some kind of ability to teach. Now, I think that that, that part can be learned. The communication part and the ability to pass things on can be learned. We have tools for that. But not everybody will excel at it. And I think part of it comes down to the pastor's disposition and what the pastor sees as his role within the congregation or what is a teacher. You know, I think people hear teacher and they think classroom lecturer or college professor or something like that. And that's not really what what we see. I think it's it's more the catechist happening and and the sales order. Okay, so you know, the, you know, the healer of souls uh, that, that is, it's this kind of teaching. It's not a purely academic one, but it's, it's teaching, you know, with the soul in mind. And that can look very simple most of the time. And I would argue that in many cases, if not most cases, it should be. Uh, we sometimes pastors become puffed up with their knowledge and their education, and they expect more out of laymen than is necessary. And they bind people's consciences that way. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's mm-hmm. supposed to be an academic. Right. And for a long time, pastors were not necessarily expected to be, and then they were. You know, Jesus calls Galilean fishermen. Now he educates them at his feet. That's the best education you can get. And Paul right. is an educated man, but it doesn't lead to haughtiness. Paul's not trying to impress people with his skills. He only appeals to them when he has to, for the sake of the gospel. Right. And so nobody is impressed with your degrees, Pastor. They really aren't. You know, you can put your MDiv or your doctor, you can put your MDiv after your doctor in front. People are really not that impressed. And 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 you shouldn't care that they are. You shouldn't care if they are. Um, what you should care about is, are they learning the faith? And I think that what goes right along with that is that being apt to teach also involves a great deal of clarity. And clarity, yes. Clarity is something that, I mean, we can cultivate something, we can work at, certainly. But being able to clearly explain something is crucial because just because you have set something out, let's say, technically correct, doesn't mean that it's clear. Doesn't mean that it's clear. And if it's not clear, then what's the benefit? If it, if it right. is technically correct, but so muddy that people are becoming confused, right. then why can't you just say it in a simpler way? Right. And if you're saying right. it in a super confusing way, it's usually not in the clear words that scripture uses. Not that right. it's not true, but still. 
you know, this is why the cat, the small catechism is given to the heads of household to teach their families. And it's these basic things in a very clear way. Well, and even, even the small catechism itself was developed because of the abysmal situation that they found the, the preachers in. Correct. Right? Correct. You know, because yes. they found, they, they couldn't even explain like these basic things of, you know, the Lord's prayer or whatever it was. And so the catechism was developed yeah. as a way of assisting them with that, giving them the kind of clarity that they needed to be, you know, effective preachers of the gospel. So right. yeah, the, the catechism is an excellent example of the need for clarity being connected to being apt to teach. Absolutely. And the, the, the goal is not to impress people. It's not to, well, actually, it's not to one up people. It's, it's, it's just simply to pass the faith on. Um, you know, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Well, my, my, my teachers might be destroyed for a surplus of knowledge. <laughs> well, knowledge puff, puffeth up. Puffeth right? up. There we go. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. Um, what is the goal of learning? What is the goal of learning from the scripture? What is the goal of learning from church history? It is to grow closer to Christ. And for a pastor, it's twofold, to grow closer to Christ and to bring people closer to Christ. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if, I'm, not, if I'm not able to use what I'm studying, for example, for the benefit of Christ's church, why am I studying it? Maybe that's another way of putting it. You know, it, I yeah. mean, it really is this idea of everything that I know about a pastor mm-hmm. or as a pastor should serve that one end of leading many to righteousness, right? Correct. Correct. That I should be able to say, this is what the Lord says, and here I will help you to understand what the Lord says, so that with that clear word of God, you will then be able to do what God wants us to do. Right? Absolutely. Yes. And the thing is, the scriptures, like we, we've almost gotten into this, we've kind of gone back to the pre-Reformation idea that the scripture isn't clear somehow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and oh, yeah. And it absolutely is in the essentials. I mean, not that it's not a well that can be tapped or the well that can be exhausted. I mean, uh, a well that can be run dry. I'm not saying that, but you know, we we teach the 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 important things of the faith uh, to children so that they can apprehend it to the point that they can receive the Lord's Supper, for example. You know, right. they they can they can come into the fold, and and so faith like a child. You know, what does that say then about you know academics of an adult? Don't know. Now, we're not being anti-intellectual or anti-academic. However, uh, the culture of that is just—it's just not healthy, in, in my opinion. We see this. We see this in forums. We see this in in certain things. And and so, what you end up with is uh, people who are kind of—you know—they find a teacher who's inaccessible because he's not apt to teach, and so they end up at some evangelical church learning nothing. And or you find someone who gets so bogged down in the intricacies of philosophy that the plain meaning of the words are lost on them, or just the simple important meanings of them. You know, uh, what end? What is the end? Is the end to be a great, you know, rhetorical scholar, or is it to be uh, a simple and humble Christian? Well, and I think, yeah, I mean, an excellent point. And I think when we look at that too. You know, we don't want to find teachers and to follow after them or whatever, however you want to word that. I know that sounds terrible, but but to follow them simply because they are 
incomprehensible simply because they do, they sound profound. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Right. That that's not a good reason to to listen to somebody. Uh, a good yeah. teacher is one who can clearly explain something in a way that can be grasped by those who are listening. Yes, yes. that may involve a great deal of explanation, but the the end goal here is that you be able to walk away and say, "Hey, I get it now. It makes sense." Right? Right. Yeah, and that and that's the thing. Just to just to make it clear. And you know, not everything has to be deep and probing either. And, and and to put it and to put it this way too, you know, if you have a teacher or someone claiming to be a teacher who immediately throws clear words into doubt for whatever reason, we that I mean that is not something they should be doing. That is not being apt to teach. Correct. If, Correct. If the and... Bible says if the Bible says one thing and and somebody says, well, but eh. You know what I mean? And and if you're a pastor who is shepherding sheep and you got skin in the game and you're with people day in and day out, now right. somebody's going to chime in and go, well, yeah, but I all my parishioners are PhDs. Well, bully for you. Go do what you need to do. But that's not going to be the case for most people. Most pastors are going to be dealing with regular people who need to hear plain and simple truths from Scripture. They don't need um, a theological exam at the deathbed. Or even when they come to your office and ask for simple answers to a question. You show them the scripture, and I would add, you explain it from scripture. Because the opposite error, it can be just as confusing. You, you Somebody asks a question, you don't give them a list of proof texts. And just say, sure. here, go on your own. Let's be clear here. But, you know, when you're dealing with the day-to-day aspects of pastoral work and care, you know, you're applying the balm where it is. And this this is part of the mystery of faith. And seeing those simple words work, uh, those simple scriptures that people can can remember, you know, even when dementia has destroyed them, for example, or or watching, you know, God work through the sacrament and things like that, seeing, you know, people released from bonds and chains and, and that sort of thing, that that takes a that takes a humble pastor, that takes a pastor who has confidence in 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 the word, and it's just. You know, it's a hard thing to cultivate, but the first way that we can cultivate that is to eschew all vanity. And I think that that's what this credentialism has given us, is is, is vanity. I think maybe a way of showing the, the practical necessity of this, to really show where the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak, is that, is this something that if I were explaining it to, say, someone who is dying, yes, would they understand it? Right. Or would it just confuse them or worse, terrify them? Right. You know, if I'm explaining, for example, the resurrection of the dead, do I get into a big, long discussion about how, oh, well, our bodies will be spiritual. We don't really understand what it's going to be like, <laughs> you know, or do I just well, say Jesus will raise you from the dead? You right. will see him with your own eyes. But I would hope that you would affirm the bodily resurrection there. But yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, but you don't be like you know, eth- <laughs> um, you know, Ethel is despondent, and you just don't look at her and go, "Gainus myasticum." <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know. It, I mean, try yeah. try as it might sound. Sometimes uh, John three sixteen <laughs> is 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 fine, folks. And sometimes you can you can even paraphrase it and just say Jesus loves you. God isn't mad at you. Okay, God has made you His child. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and just 
and, and, and live with that and be, and be, be content with that. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it is this desire to seem impressive, unfortunately, that I think has yeah. driven a lot of this. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's got to stop. It really does. Right. You know, we need to bathe ourselves. We need to really be in that clear word of scripture right. so that we're able to speak clearly. And, and on the flip side of that, when you preach in this way too, because it goes into preaching, um, you're going to sound to the world like an irrational fundy, <laughs> you know, because you are uh, just kind of preaching the word, you know. And if you're preaching the word in clarity, that means you're preaching the same words of the prophet, of the prophets, and you know, you know how the world treated them. Yeah, yeah. You think that you think the people hated prophets because they didn't understand them. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I mean yeah. that's that's a great point too. Yeah, you know, if you're too clever, people are just going to ignore you. But if you're clear and pointed, they're going to pay attention. And you might not like the attention that gets you, preacher, but they're going to know what you're talking about. Or I mean, think even about Stephen. Uh since, yeah. you know, we just recently had St. Stephen's Day. Right. You know, he he was martyred precisely because he was so clear. You stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Ghost. I mean, I don't know how you could get less <laughs> more clear than that. Right, and they stoned him. And so what are they going to do now? I mean, what is the, what is the modern-day equivalent of it? They dox you? They destroy your life? Cancel you? They cancel you? So is that what happened? So what? I mean, we, should, we shouldn't be you know, too quick with the tongue here, um, because I, they yeah, will. I mean, I they, they will do that. <laughs> and... Among our own ranks, we they might might stone us. Who knows? Well, let me let me be clear here. When I say so, what I don't, I'm not trying to dis- disparage you know what's happening or to <laughs> right. say it's no, nothing, no. but rather to say you still have Christ. Yeah, you know that's exactly. something that, that is worth holding on to. Amen. Yeah, I absolutely. need to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, but yeah, this is how we wanted to start off uh, one of these things, and that's actually part of the reason why we take the questions is to try to make. Uh, clear things that might be obscure. That's why some of these things we could actually answer in five seconds, but sometimes you give an hour to them just because it's fun. Yeah, because we just kind of see where it goes. Yeah, but. you never know. You never know where it's going to go. But we are at our first break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken right after this. You are listening to a Word Fitly Spoken special After Dark episode taking 
listener questions. All right. Well, we talked about being apt to teach and, and what that means. And everybody's going to think we're talking about them, and that's going to be funny. I just want to remind most of you people I, who are offended, I don't think about you at all. So uh, that being Thanks. said, <laughs> what's that? Uh, that being said, next question, when will we see the Tennessee Senate again? Well, I think I can speak for Zelwyn when I say that wherever two or three Anons are gathered, there is the Tennessee Senate in the midst of them. Indeed. The Tennessee Senate is alive and well in your hearts, friends. <laughs> and uh, and we will retake Appalachia. It's going to happen. Indeed. Gosh, Indeed. can you just imagine? Can you imagine like a concerted effort to plant churches in places like that? Like Appalachia or the Upper Midwest or... Yeah, just... really. How about just America generally? America in general, yeah. But I think I think we've conquered the upper Midwest enough. We need to revitalize and re-evangelize, perhaps. But we have the infrastructure. Is what up there? Oh, we've I got see the churches. Okay. We've got the churches. Yeah, man. Imagine like this is how this is really where I'm advocating for preaching revival in Lutheran churches. But don't take it. Go back and listen to the Second Great Awakening and the Pentecostal episodes so that you'll understand what I'm talking about and what I'm not talking about, rather. But to get people hungry, you know, for the gospel, hungry for the Lord again, uh, zealous, hasten to do the work while it is yet day before the night cometh when no man can work. It's later than you think, folks. It's later than you think. Well, and that was such the, that was what was so good about the Tennessee Synod, too, was that desire to, you know, hold on to the truth, especially at the beginning, right? Yes. I mean, yeah, yes, absolutely. I'm- um, they want to hold on to the truth, and you know they're writing, you know, treatises on the sacrament over and against, you know, the Baptist and Methodist churches in their in their areas. Um, they're in a in a hard area to live in and a hard people to break into, but they're still planting churches and preaching the gospel to them. And honestly, I think what makes it so moving too and so inspiring about all of it was the the zeal which they had in doing in carrying that out. Because like if you read. The, the history of the, the Tennessee Synod written by, what was it, Socrates' ankle, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Um, yeah. And just that, like these guys who would serve, you know, this short period of time as a pastor, for example, and then die b- because they basically wore themselves out. You know, right. they would still like baptize like 600 people in that time. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just remarkable the, the kind of zeal that they had in, in bringing many to righteousness. Well, yeah. Right? And what, to kind of go back to our first segment talk, the rationalists would look at that and go, oh, well, you know, that was just trickery or some kind of religious fit that these people were in. But look, water and the word together makes a baptism. So I'm going to call it a victory. We, we are we are doing backflips over the devil today. <laughs> right. The old Adam is drowned. The devil is defeated. Where water and word are joined. He thought well, he let's, try to, let's, let's try to oh. explain that on a molecular level, Zelwyn. Nope, can't do it, but the Bible says this is what the water does. <laughs> and repentance has worked. Well, and then, amazing. I was, and then uh, there's also this, this idea that, uh, that the, the Tennessee Senate, or even the early Missouri Senate, gets this accusation too. Oh, well, they were just preaching to their own people. Like, they're just going to Germans or to you know whoever it was. And that's why they had such tremendous growth. <laughs> right, right. Well, first of all, what's wrong with going to your own people? We need to do more of that. <laughs> right, right. <You> know? <laughs> and second of all, so what? Yeah. You know, that's still all those people who were brought into the kingdom. Why would we disparage that? Yeah. Why don't you love love your own household? It's okay. 
it's okay. <laughs> and don't throw them under the bus. Instead, drag them kicking and screaming into the church doors. Indeed. Give it a Indeed. shot. And and we are working uh, with Adam on that P.E. Kretzman, the soul winning episode here in the near future. So in the new year, that'll probably come out. And we'll, we'll talk a, a bit about this uh, even more. Yeah, we used to be very evangelistic. And because we do, we had this tendency to overreact to the excesses of something. Then you get people that are just like, yeah, we don't need to, uh, to contend. Right. And we don't need to, to preach. And no, well, nobody will say we don't need to preach, but what they mean is, I don't know. We don't need to preach evangelistically. Like just try to, to go back to using the words of scripture. Try to preach like Stephen once. Try to preach like Peter once. Sure. Feels sure. pretty good. Feels real good. Or preach like the prophets if you have to. If you have you to. Know. Yeah. But Lay I mean, on your it, side for many a day. See what happens. And then happens. flip over for and then 30. flip over. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's just, it's this, you know, I think if we, if we want to bring back the Tennessee Synod, let's say spiritually, whatever you want to say, if you want to bring back the Tennessee Synod, then let's start with doing what they did. <laughs> let us evangelize. Let us get out there. You're saying, us... you're saying you want a spiritual presence of the Tennessee Synod, not a local presence, correct? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, it's just, that's what made them so great. And that's how, and that's what would, that's what we should imitate in our own day is that zeal, that drive, that, you know, that desire to evangelize your own people, to get out to, you know, the people you're related to, you know, the the people who are actually closest to you, bring the gospel to them. And then I think we would see something happen that we haven't seen since the days of Tennessee. Yeah, and start by praying for, you know, you start by praying for those in your congregation who still haven't actually believed, right? Or, or, or those who have fallen away, those in your community, your half damned community on a good day is half damned, by the way. Um, right. Praying for them, you know, to be, to be brought in. If you believe that salvation is by the grace of God and through the working of God, through the word, then pray that he'll bring that about. Right. Pray like you believe it. And yeah, you might find yourself a member of a small remnant, and that's fine. But you also might find yourself in the midst of uh, God bringing more people in than you think. And there's nothing wrong with praying for that, praying it through, if if I may borrow that term. Right. You know, find yourself. Uh, you know, ask God, ask God for the strength to do that. You know, in your in your own ministry. So to all the uh, anonymous Twitter trolls, you know, <laughs> where two or three are gathered, as you said, you know. <laughs> We can bring Tennessee back. We just need to. We need to get out there and right. do what they did and love our, our neighbor. own people and love. And our this neighbor. is and this is how we love our neighbor. So, yeah. Well, yeah. And so that being said, um, one last thing: the Tennessee Senate, of course, one of the great things that they did well before the Missouri Senate was they were working in English and translating stuff into English and preaching in English and doing services in English. And so, that brings us to another question, which is Bible translations. Now we've done a whole episode, which is surprisingly popular on just basically our Bible buying guide, right? <laughs> how to right. pick a good Bible. But people want to hear more about which translations uh, to use. You're going to have to take the Bible buying guide and the Septuagint together. You know, <laughs> when we talk about this a little bit, <laughs> and we do quote the King James a lot. And we like the King James, and we respect the King James, but I think Zelwyn would agree that we're not going to recommend that to everybody as their first Bible. Sure, yeah. And, and, you know, we meme a lot, but it is what it is. 
Now, I have many King James, and I'll use King James, and you know, certain certain times of the church year, you know, like Luke two, kind of needs to be in the King James, for example. But you know, for most people, what's going to be more accessible? We live in a day where we have more accessible translations that are faithful than ever. You know, there was a time where you had like the King James Revised Standard as the biggies, and then these weird things were coming out. You know, New Living uh, Translation, Cotton Patch, whatever. And so now, though, we do have faithful translations. And and so something like the ESV would be largely trustworthy. The Legacy New American Standard, not the new one, not the 2020, but the Legacy, you know, the, the 95. And the, the 95 translation, yeah. Yeah, something like well, that. And I, and I would say uh, kind of split the difference, best of both worlds and one that reads well, but also uh, preserves some things I would prefer it preserve would be the New King James. Which you need mm-hmm. to understand is not a, a lot of people get the misunderstand is that the new King James is not an update of the King James. It's an entirely new translation. Sure, borrowing that, that heavily sort of from the King borrowing James, heavily but, from it, but it's still its own animal. You're bringing up the NASB, especially the most recent NASB, actually leads to a pretty important point when it comes to picking a translation these days, uh, because a lot of these more recent translations, like the the 2020 NASB or the the most recent NIV, for example, have totally bought into the world's ideas of what language should be, specifically like with gender neutral language is what it's often called, Uh, you know, deliberately word, you know, translating things in a way to be inoffensive in a worldly sense. Right. You know, and so, I mean, that is something that we do want to avoid because that is that is not the scriptures. I mean, I'm willing to say it that bluntly, you know, we we need to say what the scriptures say, even if that is uncomfortable to our modern sensibilities. Right. And, you know, sometimes it is more theologically significant, like being a son of God mm-hmm. is not the same thing as being a child of God, per se. Like in, right. in context, you want to be a son, you're an heir. You know, but but this, this started trickling into liturgies even before it, it did... Um, Bible translations, because I don't know what was going on for a while in Lutheranism, but they were, everybody was making up their own liturgies and they were all really bad. And, oh, this is our, you know, uh, Arbor Day liturgy or whatever. And it, I know pastors who would be like, well, I, you know, we say bless all humankind, not mankind, because women get blessed too. Like, dude, English works this way. Mankind includes everyone. We know what you mean. Right. Um, just because you're afraid of them doesn't mean you have to change language, okay? <laughs> just let's let's calm down here. Well, I mean, and and I, I like like you make the point about sons, for example. Let's let's use a specific example. You know, sons is important language because you know we are the heirs of God, and sons were the ones who were the heirs, and so we we actually make the scriptures less clear if we just say that we are children in that case when it clearly says sons. You know, right. it's yes, it might be uncomfortable for us to be called sons, just as it might be uncomfortable, uncomfortable for us to be called the bride of Christ. But we don't change the language of Scripture just because it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. And in English, can you say children to refer to, to as a plural for sons? Sure. But that's more inclusive. And, um, you know, you can do tricks like this with language and, and fall into error. So like, and still be correct. Could you could you still technically correctly translate it as children? Yes, even though it's not specific. 
Here's another thing. You can also translate virgin as young lady and be technically correct. Right. Because the assumption was is that if you're a young lady, you're a virgin. Right. And so, but what do you jettison there? So we want to be careful with that. Right. And so anyway, so back to, you know, some faithful translations. Um, Have you, how do you feel about the EHV? You know, we've had... We've got a whole episode on that, the Evangelical yeah. Heritage Version. I keep calling it a Lutheran translation. They're like, it's not Lutheran, but it, it guys, come on. I mean, I, as far as its translation philosophy goes, it's not my, not my first choice, you know, because I, I tend to be more of the, how do you want to say, the more literal kind of translations, the way that word the NASB, word. Yeah. word for word, the ESV do. Uh, but as far as a, as far as you know, its translations possibly. I, I, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's a fine translation. Yeah. Uh, so you know, a safe translation. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, e- even ESV is guilty of that uh, interpolation a little bit, a little too much exegesis when you when you've got they they translate what Romans nine is. It depends not upon human will or exertion, but upon God who has mercy. When it's literally depends not on the one who wills nor the one who runs, mm-hmm. but upon God who has mercy. I think that's clear enough as is without having to paraphrase there. Sure. So that's just the first, you know, something just you know, off the top of my head. I mean, we're talking about predominantly versions that are geared toward evangelicals, geared toward people who believe in the scriptures, at least in theory, mm-hmm. believe in the scriptures. So that that's really what we're, we're gearing toward. Uh, so there, there are better translations for the beginner today than there really has ever been. Well, and and honestly, I mean, if if the question is coming down to which one should I read, you know, because I think that's really the question that's that's really behind a question of translation is which one should I be reading? Mm-hmm. And honestly, I mean, talk to your pastor for one thing, get his yeah. input, his advice, but also just pick one pick one of these up and read it. The best one is the one you read, right? Yeah, absolutely, and yeah. <laughs> And and so if there's an NIV 1984 gathering dust in the church pew, and that's the Bible you have access to, pick it up. I guarantee you, your pastor will let you take it home. <laughs> right. Because it's a Lutheran church, you know. It is very wholesome. This one thing I do like about being back down south is people, a lot of people will still bring their own Bibles to church and to Bible study. And that's something I hadn't seen in a long time. Now, you do see it in some of our more northern Lutheran churches, but not as a as a rule like you right. do down here. Right. And, you know, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you see somebody whose Bible is well-worn and, man, that's a good sign. But then sometimes they open it up and show you the notes they've been taking and you're like, yeesh. But that being said, a lot of times I'm pleasantly surprised. You see someone who, you know, kind of grows up in the church, like a, an LCMS church or whatever, and you see their notes and it's just pure gold in there. Sure. You know, it's better than the Lutheran study Bible notes because it goes back to that clarity thing. Right. And... And you're like, okay, this is very good. This is a good thing to see. Well, maybe that's maybe that's another question we should ask then. You know, should you have a study Bible? This kind of gets into the, the I, I'm Bible actually, episode, but I'm 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 pro study Bible, but there needs to be some discernment there. And right. this I think this is the key. But this is the key: notes or no notes in your Bible. You need teachers. It just right. goes back to the first segment. So as long as, like, if you've got an ESV study Bible, for example, which in many of its notes would be quite solid, but when it comes to the sacraments and some other things, it's very solidly reformed. Right. Have a pastor there to temper some of that. Right, right. Yeah. You know, so everything is, 
there's a trade-off everywhere. But I mean, so that that's what I would probably say in terms of translation then, you know, pick up one of these solid, you know, understandable translations, avoid probably the most recent, recent ones, because they are generally too much like the world for their own good. But, you know, and talk to your pastor about which one would be good for you. And then I think that would probably be the, the best way to approach this question, because then that way you still get a good translation, but you're not disconnected from the church at the same time. Correct. Know, that's also something that we want to keep in mind, that uh, we are still, you know, part of the local congregation, you know, still under, you know, the pastor, that sort of thing. And all of that together, I think you, you really can't go wrong. Right. So. But so, I mean, yeah, so. do you want to add anything else to that, Willie? No, no. I mean, I think that's an excellent uh, way to cap that off. All right. So we, we're we always getting uh, requests for it in our last couple of minutes. Um, have you done a usury episode? Will you do a usury episode? I think in the future it's very possible we will. Right. But the world's not ready for that yet. But it is one that we need to speak out on. And we have spoken out against usury in many episodes before. Probably the first Lutheran podcast to do so, if we're being honest. <laughs> and I'm not trying to boast here, but it just doesn't come up so much. And so it, our culture is so tied to, to interest and debt and unrighteous mammon that it probably is a topic that should be taken up. It's one that I believe that the Christian church was much more solid on um, before uh, certain things happen to the economy. This will be a very pro-Andrew Jackson episode. Let the reader understand when we finally do it. Um, but we, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. The Bible condemns usury. The definition of usury is changed by Italian popes. And that's a very important thing to remember. And why that happens, that's a, you know, the usury episode has to be really two parts, the history of usury and what God says about it. Sure. And, and I would still like to see a society based upon God's economy. And um, I, I don't think a lot of our uh, neocon listeners would actually like God's economy. <laughs> I would say, but the, nor were our commies, but that being said. But that's, uh, oh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> my bootstraps? Um, no, not my bootstraps. <laughs> that, Adam that, Smith? I don't that know. kind of economy that, that they would not like. Why am I drawing a blank here? A Rush humane Dooney. economy? No. Oh, like, uh, oh, what is Rush Dooney's word? You know uh, what I'm talking about. Theonomy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it sounds too much like theonomy. Um, and, 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 you know, if you're clever, you say theonomy is bad. If you're not clever, you say Christian nationalism is bad. But it's two sides of the same coin. And but so, if But if you're biblical, you say but if, but these things are good. <laughs> these things are good, and we need them, because all should, uh, you know, bend the knee to Christ. So, well, with that being said, we're, we're going to take our next break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken right after this.
Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to a Word Fitly Spoken special After Dark episode taking your questions. Well, we've had a fun uh, talk here in the last two segments. Now we're coming up into the home stretch, and now we're going to tackle a really important question, really more of a comment, which is, you know, more wrestling content. And I think I agree with everybody when we need more wrestling here on the podcast. More wrestling and more cryptids, but not cryptid wrestling because uh, syncretism is not our thing. <laughs> but there's a lot we can learn from wrestling. One, and I mean real wrestling, you know, like territory system days. You know, some days I think that um, had the Lord not raised me up for this purpose, I would have been a really good wrestling manager, like second only to Jim Cornette. I would have really liked to try. You know, everything I learned about preaching, I learned from wrestling promos. And what we really need are more Lutherans cutting promos out in the world there. I think that would be good. That that might be an episode quote right there. <laughs> I mean... Um, you know, you, you learn how to be physically fit. You learn how to uh, weather the storm uh, through wrestling. And, uh, you know, if anybody uh, thinks wrestling is fake, well, see what happened to John Stossel. So much to be learned, much to be gleaned. And, um, yeah, maybe maybe I'll dedicate an episode, too, because there's some topics here I would love to cover. You know, but do I have to start a new show to talk about the history of the FBI or cryptids or you know just wrestling territories do i do i need that that's the question we have to ask ourselves do we do we have a b channel wrestling fitly spoken well i i don't know if we need a b channel per se but you know it, it could be just something you know we could incorporate these things more often i suppose hear me out we just start our own wrestling promotion and this is how we settle theological disputes now just in the in the ring like a cage match yeah since dueling is illegal in most states Backyard wrestling isn't, so I figure next best thing. So this this is a proof that you're theologically correct through use of a chair? Is that what Right, is that this what is how Art Anderson here? comes into the fold. I feel like we can make this happen. Because he's of the same stock as you, so I feel like you know we could get him in there pretty, we can pretty make easily. It happen. We can make it happen. I See? mean, Dale Earnhardt is the greatest Lutheran athlete, but imagine if we had a wrestler. It's true. It's true. Well, <laughs> I mean, Big Van Vader just seems like you'd see him sitting in the commons over at CTS somewhere. You know, just being needlessly aggressive in a theological debate. Too stiff, if you will. Well, maybe we need to be needlessly aggressive. <laughs> maybe. Um, but, but Zoe, and that would be hyper-masculine. Oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you need to be so masculine that you can wear a feather boa and a sequined robe and nobody ask any questions. <laughs> there's no questions about you know what's really going on here no it's it's clear what's going on here he's just that exactly awesome, so exactly well no i i think i think you could make something of this though you know wrestling as a metaphor for pastoral formation or right but i'm all i'm only ever like one bad day away from those 90s christian bodybuilder things they had nice did you ever see these we had one come to our school once yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I still have a a brick one of the bricks that they broke. One, the guy wrote John 316 on it. It's at my parents' house somewhere. So I, I want to make fun of it, but it's too wholesome to make fun of. Um, I mean, did did they break the chains and everything? Everything. The whole works. It was amazing. So N nothing like that did, but I grew up close to where Macho Man's dad had his outlaw wrestling promotion. So my dad got to, you know, get to see all those guys before they were big and his friend Stubbs got, you know, assaulted at one of the, I'll tell that story on the air one day. I'll save it. I'll save it. 
consider this the preview. Yeah, I'm, all I'm saying is don't storm the ring when the Macho Man's in there. <laughs> of course, didn't we have that episode where we discovered about the Macho Man's actual like heritage? Didn't yeah, we, we ha- did. We did. That was a and, conclave, wasn't it? <laughs> right. But we can baptize anything. So. <laughs> but where do you want to go in the last in the last part of the of the well, episode? Well, we've got Willie? some some more questions, Elwin. What should we What should we tackle here? Oh, there's so many good questions. Some of the like like Willie was saying before, though, some of these questions are the kind of questions that we need either more time to well, get yeah, like, ready like, for. Like this one is excellent, like a comparison critique of various English language explanations of the catechism. And I think that that is a, a very important episode to do because it needs its own episode. Because when you start to ask questions like, well, why do people, um, you know, why do people vigorously you know, defend something that maybe isn't necessarily the confessional position? Or maybe the confessions leave it more open. I'll put it that way. And mm-hmm. but people will say, well, the catechism says X. Well, no, the explanation said that in this generation. Then in the next generation they changed it. Mm-hmm. And and that that is really how we get to, I would argue, the various forms of Lutheranism that we have in in a, in a, in a way that's more profound than what people realize. And so there there are certain examples, you know like with acceptance language or Jesus is your personal savior or the number of sacraments, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, it's because of the explanation of the catechism. Well, so yeah, that, that, that would be a fun episode. It would be. And especially, I don't know how deep we'd want to go into it, but you know, there have been explanations of the catechism for just about as long as there's been the catechism. Um, you know, I mean, you, you're looking at, I don't know, like the the catechismus milk uh, back in the what was that the seventeenth yeah. century or something like that. So I mean, yes, th- yes. there are these. There's like a, a a clear pedigree, and it will even branch off so that you know we could talk about mm-hmm. uh, the Sverdrup uh, catechism, yeah. which is outside of and and, and uh, maybe our, the explanations in general are a symptom of the problem we were talking about earlier. It could be. It could you know, be. That, that, that's that's worth having. Um, I, I it is interesting because we're seeing a push toward more public domain ver- translations of just the catechism. And you're mm-hmm. going to see more, what do we want to say? Independent explanations as well, right. or maybe even ones that are now just public domain. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I should say, you know, necessary right. to it. It's just, it's not bad to have a faithful translation of that, you know, free, free use. Yeah. That's something we'll definitely look at and something we need to look at. And pastors, you know, when you come into a new congregation, you see this and, you know, you kind of, you, you see, you'll have a congregation where people are using the night, you know, the 41 explanation or whatever, or whatever year that was. And then the eighties and then the early two thousands and then now the 2017. And there, there are clear differences in how people perceive our doctrine based upon those explanations, at least anecdotally in, in my experience. Well, I mean, people will remember the one that they were taught, right? Yeah. And I mean, even even with our most recent transition into oh, what I forget what year it was the the most recent uh, explanation of the Catechism, yeah, the tw- new twenty seventeen, I believe. Twenty seventeen. I think. So. I mean, yeah. even even that in itself caused some confusion because now we've left behind one we've been using for quite a while, actually. Right, um, and so there's always that kind of a transition. And, and, and when did we lose? What, when did we lose uh, the promise attached to the fourth commandment? Uh, that's a. I want to say in the '90s, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's '80s or '90s, and then there was a big push to bring it back, but it just kind of got 
yeah, disappeared or whatever, whatever <laughs> the machinations that make things do that, it, it happened. The inner um, workings of Synod. Yeah. I mean, and, the, and I know the argument, it wasn't in the original, but yeah, it actually is in some later ones. And then it seems to be actually have made it into the ones that were widely used. Uh, but now we're getting a little bit into the weeds here. But just to say that the promise to that commandment is actually right in the text of the scripture. Well, and, and for that matter, you know, the, the additional stuff about with the first commandment and, you know, you shall have no graven images, that sort of thing. You know, yep. that's not something we shouldn't leave out either. You know, we tend to gloss over it. You know, I know why we do it. I mean, because we, you know, the way we number the commandments, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but we should talk about these things. We should still talk about it because it is in the text of, of Moses. And, exactly. And yeah, so it, it does need, we do need to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so ma- definitely, maybe, definitely one to look at down the road. And maybe, and maybe that leads just kind of into a, a thing we could talk about right now is, is talking about things that, you know, maybe aren't being talked about, you know, wh- how would we go about doing that more? And I don't mean just here on the on the podcast. I mean just generally, you know, how do yeah, we just, how do we go about talking about things that we we want to bring up again? You know what yeah. I mean? And I don't know. It, it just seems as if I, it's so cliche to say that things get watered down. But we, as time goes on, we seem to get more shy about talking about certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we don't need to be shy, we just need to be more clear. And if the scriptures say it, let's not be afraid to say it, you know, right, right, or or at least to talk about it and to try to rightly divide it. Well, I I think, and maybe that ties very nicely back into the first segment too, talking about that kind of clarity. You know, it's important to say what the Bible says, and yes, we be, can become a little bit shy, as you put it. You know that we we don't want to bring things up for whatever reason. But I think it's still important for us to be able to say, you know, this is what the Lord has said on any given subject, even if it's not popular to do so. You know, right. If if our if our age considers something to be evil, for example, that the Bible says is at least morally neutral, we shouldn't shy away from saying, well, it's morally neutral. You know, we, we can't let our fear dictate how we actually talk about the scriptures. Which I think is maybe, and maybe this is kind of something we can kind of conclude on then, you know, how do we go about speaking with that kind of clarity and that kind of bravery uh, in a way that, how do I don't want to say, in a way that will be heard? Yeah. Now, a way to be heard, that's the trickier one, because some will say then that we need to be, um, I don't want to put this overly nice or overly diplomatic so that people mm-hmm. will listen to us, but you want people to hear, not always listen. You know, because listen in the modern context tends to just be sitting at the table with me and being nice and saying, right. I respect your opinion. But how can we say it in such a way that the point, you know, the point lands, the point sticks? Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it is now we don't want to be overly provocative. At all. You know, we, we want to be careful with that. But at the same time, sometimes the scriptures are provocative and sometimes the scriptures use language that is pointed. You know, you look at the discourse that's happening during the early days of Lutheranism and even all the way up into scholastic Lutheranism. Those guys are, are still very pointed and nobody gets their feelings hurt. Everybody's getting their feelings hurt today. <laughs> and so right. 
something we always have to worry about. Um, so yeah. So back to the original question, how do we do it? One, you want to be kind, but at the same time, not hurting someone's feelings cannot be the only thing that guides your discourse. Let God be true, though every man be a liar. So we have to we have to stand on that and understand that people are offended by the very basics of our faith. You take the homosexuality part out of it, the, the the transgender stuff out of it, and people are offended by the very blood of Christ. They're offended right. by the sacrifice of Christ, the mission of Christ. They're they're offended simply by the proclamation of sin and the the, the idea that, that sin is even a thing, <laughs> you know, a concept or whatever. So the right. very basics of the faith are going to scandalize the world. So you're already at odds with them. My nature as a Christian, my new nature, you are at odds with the world. Right. And so that's what's going to happen. Um, and so we, we want to be careful with that there. Uh, we want to be patient, too, when dealing with people. Never being concerned merely about being right, but we want people to come to a right knowledge of the Savior. And so we have to speak clearly, and sometimes we have to speak boldly. So what is Stephen doing? In his final hours, he is... Um, you know, he is he is contending for the faith right until the first rock is thrown. And he didn't say, wait a minute, maybe I can explain this more in the kindest way. No, he right. just keeps on doing what he does. <laughs> well, or or think of the, the prophets, for example. Uh, Jeremiah is told explicitly that people will not listen to him. You know, Ezekiel is told explicitly that they will reject that they will reject his words. Uh, but they are still sent to preach. Yeah. Right. They are still sent to proclaim what God has said and not just, you know, what sounds good or, you know, just to be overly nice or something like that. And, and, and I mean, I, I take, for example, um, oh, what is the prophet's name? The false prophet who basically, who tears the, uh, the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck. Um, you know what I'm talking the, about? Right. Um, darn it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. This is, we're not on our, on our, Hananiah. Yeah, Hananiah. And yeah. Hananiah comes in with a very biblically sounding message, I guess, if you want to put it that way. You know, that God will, mm. God's not going to take you away. God will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, so on and so forth. And it sounds vaguely biblical. It sounds like something that could be coming out of the prophets. I mean, Jeremiah will say something like it in other places. Yeah. But Jeremiah specifically rebukes him and says that you have not spoken God's word. Um, and in place of the wooden um, bars which you have broken, iron will be put in its place. So, you know, it's, it's one of these things where we have to speak the word, even if that word is judgment, even if that word well, is destruction. And there's a good lesson for discernment here. That while obviously people who are speaking things contrary to Scripture in language completely foreign to Scripture are false prophets, it's most likely Antichrist may well be based in trad and speaking things in a way <laughs> right. that you know that that has that Christly uh, veneer about it, but lacking you know the truth of of Jesus within it, and right. so we need to be careful there. Right, right. That even even people with all the trad trappings uh, can can be false teachers. You know, and I'm I'm sure Hananiah sounded good. I'm oh no, sure no, he, doubt. no doubt. I'm sure he was based in trad, as it were, but he was not biblical, right? And and that was and that's the key point here. So I mean, yeah, I think the discernment, as you said, is is a key thing here. Uh, but it's also for those of us who are preaching the word. You know, we should not be afraid to speak the hard word, even if it is something that no one wants to hear. 
And so, yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely well said. Uh, well, we're coming up on the end of this episode, Zellin. Anything else we want to tackle? No, I mean, I, I do think a lot of the questions that we have from you, our listeners, are good ones. And we do want to cover them. Like I said, we'll cover them at some in more length. But it is something, especially in this next year, you know, we are hoping to to continue some things that we have been doing in, in the past. You know, I do want to get back to uh, talking about the councils, for example. I think that would be a good thing to finally finish out because I think we're supposed to be on the sixth one now, if I remember correctly. So, you know, just kind of picking up some of those loose ends, which we have, is something that I think we'll be doing in the upcoming year. Do you have any plans for the upcoming year, Willie? For WorkFitly, um, anyway? Well, I just follow what the Bible says, and I don't say, you know, <laughs> we, we will do this. Instead, if the Lord wills, um, if the Lord wills, there will be, there, we will do an, more spoopy episodes. We'll do some, uh, Zellin will entertain me. And let me do that. We'll, we'll we'll have some fun stuff, you know, more conclaves and other stuff coming up. We'll maybe have some book posts, um, get into some more history. Maybe we'll get back into Mormonism. I've got to I've got to dust off that because I'll be uh, doing a presentation on that in the new year, Lord willing, as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, folks, uh, keep uh, keep reading good books, keep listening to good stuff, keep in the Word, keep in prayer, be in church on Sundays. The Lord loves you, and and we love you, and even, you know, those people out there who think we're totally, you think we're totally against you, and uh, that we absolutely hate you. I promise, we don't. We love you. We pray for you too, and uh, we want you to come to a knowledge of the truth. All right. Sounds With that good. being said, this has been a word fitly spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out wordfitlyspoken.org, Facebook.com/slash/wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills. Here with Zell and Heidi. God love you, and God bless.